This is Pod Forsaken. Hey everyone, welcome to Pod Forsaken. I'm Rodney Altman. I'm Missy Levin. I'm Chris Sachs. Uh, and today, joining us, we have a very special guest, actress Alex Esso. Hey! hey Hello! Hey! Uh, so Alex is joining us uh, via Skype from Vancouver. Uh, so we may have... We may have audio problems or te technical <laughs> problems as we go along. Bear with us. Um, very cool of you to join us. You are currently on on set, right? Or you're you're in your hotel, I guess, or apartment, but you're up there to shoot. Um, yeah. Well, actually, uh, production got shut down for two weeks. Oh, so you're on vacation? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was gonna be my one of my first questions with whether that was actually moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're up there shooting Midnight Mass, the new Mike Flanagan yeah. show. That's so cool. <laughs> uh, which I mistakenly called Black Mass at one point. So on a previous episode. <laughs> so uh, again, I apologize. I am super pumped because I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan. Yeah, we all are. Um, yeah. And like, obviously, I'm dying to know about it, but I don't really want to spoil anything for myself. But is there anything you can tell us about your role or the like the basic gist? Well, uh, I mean, my role is a huge spoiler. I don't want to. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> okay, fair. I assume it has something to do with uh, the baby Jesus. <laughs> I play Jesus. It's that's that's my role. Oh shit! Spoilers. Oh, yeah. we'll cut this out. Oh wow, that is kind of I a big know. spoiler. It's woke Jesus. Um, okay, well, I'm excited to watch it. We definitely do not have to talk about it, but we can. I would like to let's let's rewind, yeah, like kind of like movie style and go go back to the beginning. Tell us where are you from, Alex? Uh, well, I was born in Saudi Arabia on a compound called Dahran. I lived there until I was 12, uh, and then we moved to Canada, where my mom is from. We moved to a, a suburb of Toronto, and then actually I went to school in Vancouver for a few years. I went to acting school here and was in like a theater group. Wow. Oh. Very cool. So it all has come full circle. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's nice. Is your mom still there? She is still in Toronto. That's a different place, Missy. Well, Canada. <laughs> the small, the small country of Canada. No. Okay. <laughs> We're so American. We're like they're to the north. <laughs> We're all neighbors. Yeah, and my dad, uh, my dad lives in Florida. Oh. That Toronto and Florida couldn't be more different. Yeah. Oh my god! I, like you're really gonna make me come all the way to Florida to see you, huh? Where uh -huh. in Florida? Uh, he lives in Palm Coast, which is uh, okay. further north, a little more remote, not uh -huh. near where most of that insane stuff goes down. But is he? In, he's not in Panhandle. Uh, no, he's like a half an hour north of Daytona. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that well, that real hard really, shit. You're really been drilling in. her for info on where her dad lives. Yeah, I'm trying so to creepy. track your dad down. He owes me some money. <laughs> we need this specific address. All right, Alex. <laughs> oh, no, I just I have a lot of family from Florida. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, where do they? My uncle just moved from Orlando to Tennessee, so that he he was a, a legal defense attorney in uh Florida in oh Orlando for wow. like 20 years. Yeah. And now he's, yeah, he's crazy. He's <laughs> retired now so that he can uh, have a compound in Tennessee. I've heard a yeah. lot of people are retiring in Tennessee. It was cheap. Like, um, yeah, it's really cheap. The tax breaks are great for elderly people, I think. Mm -hmm. And if you have a gun, you don't have to worry about all the meth heads. <laughs> You're going to cut all of this, Chris. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Uh, we can talk about Florida all all day. <laughs> well, yeah, this is Florida for Sagan. Welcome to Florida for Sagan. Um, it's a Florida review podcast. <laughs> one of one of the things I always like to ask our guests is like, how did you first get into horror? Like, did you watch a lot of horror movies when you were growing up? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's not even as if. I loved horror specifically. I was just a huge movie head um, from a really young age. And I love, I mean, I love stuff like the Dark Crystal. You know, I like those kind of scary elements to that. But also, I mean, like in the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of, like, they weren't afraid to be scary. They weren't afraid to scare children in children's movies. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Which I, I used to love okay. Labyrinth. That scared the shit out of me. Labyrinth, absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, even, like, there are parts in Little Monsters, and I don't well, I guess that's 80s, though. But, yeah, you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it was before the corporatization, so they were yeah. allowed to take risks and be fucked up. And, and the whole like age of the helicopter mom. I mean, everyone is so terrified of their children experiencing a, a moment of discomfort or anxiety, you know? Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, it's hard because like, I wonder if those movies as a child, like desensitize me and I just don't notice that kids movies are scary <laughs> now, but it does feel like when I go back and watch an eighties kids movie, quote unquote, there's a part of it that's like this feels inappropriate. Like, I know, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like, like I even the mo- like I love the Monster Squad, and they like yeah. blow the Wolfman up with a stick of dynamite. I watched it for the first time this year. Like it's it's kind of messed up, yeah. right? For a kids yeah. movie. <laughs> but you gotta you gotta do it. You gotta do it to the Wolfman. It's the only way to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a silver stick of dynamite. Too. Yeah, so it seemed more real. Did you did you dig the new the new uh, Dark Crystal? Okay, so I haven't watched the new Dark Crystal yet. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, you got two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you got sacred. I did appreciate the practical effects and stuff like that, and I will absolutely get around to watching it. I just haven't had a lot of time to watch all the things I want to watch, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm, Completely understand. We live in a world where, like, you just have too much on your queue at all times it's, like yeah, endless stream of- even when you go to sit down to watch it four new things have come and you're like oh maybe i should watch that instead <laughs> well and then you mentioned the dark crystal and i was like oh right i have to watch that too like you kind of things fall through the cracks so easily i've been trying to like force feed myself you know the movies that are you know popular in my industry that's kind of a that's when it starts to feel like homework you know yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously you have to do whatever research you have to do, but like, I don't know if it ever feels like you're force feeding yourself, you should move on. Like you, you should love watching what you're watching, you know, you should. And I feel that way about cinema in general, but you know, I mean like the overwhelming majority of Oscar nominees, like I need to see them because I need to Valid. know about them in my, in my business in the business end, I need to have seen them. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally true. Yeah. Every year I make a point to see most of them, but I always feel like a couple slip through. Yeah. I still haven't seen I Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. And every year I, I like the selection less and less. Mm. You know, yeah. All my favorite yeah. films never get nominated. I mean, The Lighthouse was nominated for cinematography, which is like. Should have been nominated for way more. It should have been nominated for everything, and Will yeah. Defoe and Robert Pattinson should I know. have won Best Actor. 
Yeah, cinephile video here in LA that have a big thing on the on the door that says congratulations to best actor Oscar winner Willem Dafoe with like a big picture of him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean it's just, well, and also like talk about a movie that is attempting to do something different. Uh -huh. It's not the same old hacky schlock that everyone loves to give each other awards for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, it's this is not like a surprise, but genre stuff tends to be ignored. Like the fact yeah. that when Hereditary came out, Tony Collette didn't get a nomination. Well, that's like one of the best horror performances I've seen in like a long time. Oh my god, Florence Pugh in Midsummer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, uh, it's like I, I. I get that it was like a lesser seen movie, but that's the whole point of the Oscars shouldn't be about who saw it. It should be what, like, what were the best performances? I it's, I understand it's also hard to pick five, you know, yeah. but still. And it's just the opposite now. It's a, it's just a popularity contest. Yeah. And a chance to boost revenues for movies. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like I, Oh my God. I mean, I don't want to start trashing, you know, big Hollywood or any of the <laughs> yeah, let's, we can avoid that. Yeah. But, but this is also the year that Parasite won, too. So. Yeah, that's yeah, true. true. So it's something. Like it's, it's better. Yeah. Uh, that was Missy's favorite horror film of the decade. Uh, uh, it was perfect in every way. It, Parasite? It filled every genre. I don't know. We did, we did, a, we did a top 10 episode, and, and Missy picked that as her number one. We had a bit of a debate oh, on whether really? that's a horror movie or not. It's not. <laughs> the end of time it's everything it's funny well i want to spark an argument but i mean i love parasite but I, I i thought mother was is still his best i haven't seen mother but um, i so i know i need and, to and then the host and then parasite would be my order okay okay i mean the parasite for all the things i loved about it there were a couple things that kind of frustrated me that i felt I mean, I'm all for letting questions hang in the air and, you know, audiences coming to their own conclusion and stuff. But, you know, there, there are a couple parts like when the old housekeeper shows up and she's all beat to shit and mm -hmm. they make a point in the script of her husband asking her what happened. And she says, I'll tell you later. And then nothing. Oh, I'll never find out. The, the people that wanted money from her husband beat her up looking for money. Like she got beat up because she was looking for money. No, because the, the her husband owed a lot of people money. Perhaps I mean, but why not? Why not? no? You you have to trust Missy. She saw it thirty times. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but I, I I just I don't know what the point is in in making a point to establish that without honoring it in the story at some point. Mm. You know, fair. I I personally would have liked to have known more about them. I mean, all you really get is a scene of the two of them sitting in a living room drinking tea. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was the most. I mean, they're what the fuck? Who is he? What is he doing down there? Like, that was the most interesting part of the movie to me. That, mm -hmm. like, I feel like there's a whole story there that we were just kind of denied. Right. I, I mean, so I, I'm going to go out on a limb and defend it because it is a very socialist piece. But it almost feels like the tone that they're trying to communicate is that the luxury of being able to explain the problems is something that is only afforded by, uh, afforded to people who are of a certain social class. And so that when you're talking about these underclassmen who literally, it's an upstairs downstairs story, quite literally. And when you're talking about the, the downstairs people, they don't even have the luxury to tell each other what's going on in their lives. Sure. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a, a fantastic, uh, you know, in, uh, reading of that for sure. I just think for a, if you are telling someone a story anyway, you can still make that point without, without denying that to your audience necessarily. Do you know what I mean? Cause sure. it's not as if yeah. anything else was very deeply explained either. I mean, it's not as if 
we really went into the family and who they were. They were mostly just, you know, these kind of two-dimensional rich people. And I understand the point in that, in kind of propping them up as an any, any wealthy high-status person who is out of touch mm-hmm. and all of that. But if you are going to make a, a movie about the struggle of the working class, I think that you can definitely communicate that no one cares about their problems without you, the storyteller, not caring about their problems. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But everything, I mean, like I said, I loved everything else about it. There, there, there's something about it that kept me, that was one thing that kept me from really being engaged in it because I want to get lost mm. in the story and it's hard where I'm like, wait, but you keep setting this stuff up and not sort of uh, honoring it. You know what I mean? Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, don't know. I feel that. Yeah, but I think I'm we can all Alex. agree that Train to Busan is the best Korean horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Train to Busan. Uh, you might be I right. Train to Busan. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> there's so, well, or even like The Handmaiden. The Handmaiden is a brilliant. Mm. I haven't seen movie. that yet. I'm oh sorry. my god! I mean, it, and, and it is also about classism, and I, I feel like mm. it, it's. I don't know. There's something about it that is very. There's a light touch, and there's a sophistication. To the storytelling aspect of it that I really, really enjoyed. And it's beautifully filmed. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I, I wouldn't be surprised mm. okay. if it's something that kind of inspired him <laughs> to make Paris. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely on our on our, our list to watch. Yes, it is. We amongst talked about 600 it other villains. Yeah. Yeah. I know, the list goes on forever. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Okay, so uh, while I do want to talk about Parasite all day, but there's, we have a, I have a lot of other things I want to talk about too. So why don't you tell us what was your first like major role for you that you were like I think like I think I'm gonna uh, like make a career out of this. Well, I mean, I actually grew up in theater. My mom was a stage actress, so I grew okay. up in the theater watching her. I go, I would go to every rehearsal for every play that she was in or directed or choreographed or any of that stuff. And then you know, at home, I would just kind of absorb all the movies that I could. So it was. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because even though that was what I was oriented towards, I actually wanted to be a painter. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. And I, I, I applied to all these art schools and I got into them and, and that's what I was going to do. And then after high school, I was like, actually, I think I'm, I've had all the formal education that I can really stand. I don't ever want to be in a classroom again. So, (laughs) so I traveled for a bit. Um, and then when I got back to Toronto, oh God, I was like 18 and uh, I took this acting workshop and it just like totally broke me open. I was like, oh my God, like I didn't realize that this is what this is. And so I followed that teacher to Vancouver and it was there. I met my mentor and then I, you know, I mean, it, it was a combination of that and, and constantly watching movies. I would say, though, um, the thing that really that really elevated my ambition uh, is this movie called A Woman Under the Influence uh, by John Cassavetes. I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. Yeah, same. It's maybe my top five movies of all time. Certainly my number one best performance by an actress ever. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. All right. It's, I, I can't watch it too many times. And every time I watch it, something new is revealed to me, which is kind of what I look for in movies is, you know, what is the, what is the um, sort of uncharted territory that I'm, that I'm being exposed to. And that, that this movie is full of that. 
And it's a very simple story. It's just about this housewife who has a psychotic break. Hmm. And that's it. Hmm. And it's it's gorgeous. And I, I didn't realize the extent that you can go to with acting before I saw that movie. Hmm. I got it. It was the it was the movie that you were like, holy shit, there's a whole other level to this. Yes, absolutely. And and it's it's become kind of the bar that I that I kind of judge all performances by. Well, now I have to see this fucking film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. It's I mean, have you guys seen any other Cassavetti stuff? What what are his other big um, ones? I feel like I'm not well versed in Cassavetti's. I saw isn't Gloria? Yeah. I loved Gloria. Was... I love that movie too. And the same same actress as a woman of the influence. Oh, that is? Oh, yeah. cool. Okay. Oh, you okay. love it. It blew um, me away. I like saw it by accident, the new Beverly, and it just blew me away. Yeah, and his his movies do that. They they're well, I mean, so Cassavetes essentially is the reason independent film exists. Uh he is also, I happen to think, um, and I actually heard Peter Falk say this in an interview once too, that the whole French New Wave was completely inspired by Cassavetti's very first movie called Shadows, arguably like the first true independent movie um, about kind of the jazz scene in New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really, and all those guys, Godard and Truffaut and um, uh, Renoir and all those dudes, Genet, they all kind of were inspired by that. But if Godard, wow. not that I love Godard necessarily, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i'm sitting here and i'm thinking maybe i've never seen a cassavetti's film seen a, one he did with peter falk too because they're like when they're like best friends i i, I just were. don't know yeah. like i guess if i put up their imdb i'd be like maybe i've seen this but cassavetti's is in my favorite columbo episode uh one where he's like a conduct <laughs> i've seen it like six times oh, it's I love such it. a good columbo episode <laughs> isn't john cassavetti's like the tattoo artist in the hangover three or two no i'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty no, sure he not. died in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm thinking yeah. of someone else. <laughs> Wait, the hologram is crazy. <laughs> Didn't you see Star Wars Rogue One? That guy was dead too. <laughs> they, right. they CG'd him. There's, I'm pretty sure oh. there is. Maybe, maybe it's Henry Rollins, actually. I don't know. I'm, That's different. There's definitely That's a dude who has a cameo. Different. Yeah. All right, we're cutting all this, starting over. <laughs> Hi, welcome, Alex Esso. <laughs> um, um, so, but one of your first big roles was on the show Reaper, right? Uh, I wouldn't call it a big role, but yeah, my, my first, like, paid SAG gig was on Reaper, uh, with okay. Marcus, which was amazing. Mm. Yeah. I unfortunately don't know much about Reaper, but I know uh, it was a pretty big hit at the time, right? It was on CW? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was your first SAG gig. That must have been awesome, right? Like, you get your card? Um, I, I got to meet him. I didn't really... I mean, I am in one episode for, like, 30 seconds. Like, okay. <laughs> small part. But I did uh, discover the magic that is crafty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Especially on a network show. I showed up and I was like, oh, all of this is going in my pockets. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's where, like, a third of the budget for any shoot yeah. goes, I think. <laughs> That's a SAG scale, as they weigh you on the way out. (laughs) (laughs) That actually would be fucking hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Sir, how did you gain 22 pounds and the ham is missing? (laughs) All right. Well, I'm I'm dying to talk about Starry Eyes. I know we we all are. If we just jump forward to that. So we we did a previous episode about the film, but I... uh, What you don't know is when I... A friend of mine told me to watch it years ago, and I'd never heard of it. 
And I sat down and I was just like blown away by this movie. In fact, in our, our like top 10 of the decade, I put it at my number three. It was my third favorite horror movie of the decade. And I thought you were just like amazing at it. This is the part where I gush a little bit. Like you fucking own that movie. You do. And, um, and, uh, I'm just, I want to hear, you know, how did you, how did the part come to you? What was it like making it? Just, let's just talk about Starry Eyes, whatever you want to talk about. Oh man. I mean, it, I, I mean, that's, that's still to this day, like one of the projects I'm most proud of and most proud. Yeah, you should be. Mm -hmm. It's, Mm. I, I mean, I I could not have foreseen how, when it all came together, when I saw it, because they didn't let me see it until the night it premiered in South by Southwest. So I was a a wreck. I know. I was like, why are you doing this to me? Like, why would, (laughs) so the part, I mean, it, it was, it was such a long shot. It was almost accidental. It started off as a, as a nothing, like no budget. They were trying to raise money on Kickstarter. And uh, I showed up to the first audition. It was myself and like 50 other girls who all had the same call time. <laughs> so right away I was like, oh, all right, awesome. This is great. Can't wait to, you know, what is this, a horror movie? Cool. Um, and I went in and I did my little thing and honestly, like it wasn't my best audition, (laughs) not like amazing, but the, and the, and the directors didn't want to bring me back, but the casting director did. And was that after she saw you in the bathroom? Pulling your hair out. (laughs) How many people have you murdered to date, Alex? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Hey, it's, it's a, it's a jungle out there. (laughs) Um, but uh but so she she snuck me into the second round of auditions she told me it was a callback which it was not it was like just a whole new group of people that they hadn't seen yet it took place at a casting office that i was working at just coincidentally whoa Um, yeah it was crazy so so then I like, I, by then I had actually been sent the script and I was like, oh my God, this script is fantastic. And I prepared some more things from it and, uh, and just really went balls to the wall. And even then it was like another four months. And then I got a call saying that, oh you know, gosh. it was between me and this other girl who had a lot more, um, well, had a higher IMDb rating, had more credits, you know, had just more to her name than I did. But he wanted to meet me for coffee to talk about the strip. And I was like, all right, time to, you know, break out the trivia, break out the big books, <laughs> all everything I, you know. And I basically met up with him uh, for co- with Dennis, one of the directors for coffee, and said, you know, I, I know what you are referencing in this movie. I have seen all the movies that could have possibly inspired this. I know exactly what the tone is. I know who this girl is. You know, I just basically spent an hour and a half selling myself. Uh, and it worked. <laughs> Which is like, wow. amazing. They're like, all right, we're going to... Honestly, the, the thing that clinched it for me was the fact that I had seen this movie called Possession... Uh, oh, we <laughs> love that movie. Yeah, we, we, did, we an did an episode on episode. it. Yeah. Carla Gianni is like a goddess uh-huh. of the movie. A goddess. Yes, she is. It's my, one of my favorite movies ever. And it was very much an inspiration for Starry Eyes. That makes so sense. That, I can see now that. that you now that you it, say I, that. I can yeah. totally see that, yeah. Uh, right. What other movies um, did he say referenced it? Honestly, it was mostly Possession, somewhat Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. can definitely see that. 
which Cassavetes is, is in is her husband. Yes. Yeah. That, that's what I said. Is that, sure it seemed like Henry you Collins. were the Cassavetes character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, yeah. And then after that, they, they managed to secure more funding. So it became randomly, it became like a bigger thing. And yeah, and then the, the rest is history. But it was a, I mean, it was a labor of love for sure. We shot the whole thing in 18 days, six day weeks, lots of force calls, lots of hours of makeup and, you know, mm-hmm. get, getting in the dirt. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Toward the end, there's some pretty heavy makeup there. Yeah. How, like, how long did you have to sit in a makeup chair for some of those well, for scenes some at the, the end? Well, for some of the body stuff, like for some of the full body makeup, it would be like five hours. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. Wow. Oh, yeah. I'd have to get in, like, many hours early before the crew even got there so that we could be ready in time. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, The life of an actor is not all glam. How did they do the throwing up maggot thing? Missy wants to know if they made you eat maggots. (laughs) You know, I was, I, that's actually completely my fault. I thought I was going to be, like, super hard and be like, oh, I'll just put one in my mouth. And I'll just, you know, and it'll be way cooler and I'll just like take it out and it's like, whatever, I'll just do it. And I had a complete nervous breakdown. <laughs> Never had a, a bug in my mouth. Oh. As I'm sure most people have not. Yeah. But I, I mean, it was not something that I could handle very well, which helps for the scene, but literally <laughs> we had to do like. It's like different takes in succession and without cutting. So I had to keep putting it in my mouth and taking it you out. You really did put oh, them in oh your mouth. And the, oh, and, oh my God. And the, the DP, <laughs> God bless him, was right in front of me the whole time, like talking me down. He's like, you can do it. You're almost done. You're doing great. It's fine. You're, uh-huh. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> oh, as soon as we cut, I had to go into another room and sob for like 30 oh. seconds. I, like, oh. I don't blame you. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. Oh my wow. God. wow. Yeah, I've never seen that again. Uh, you got uh, some volunteer guys. Yeah, you you now have a maggot clause. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like a new industry standard now. <laughs> when you were working on it, did you know how special it was going to be? Like, could you tell on set? I mean, I. I felt that it was a special story, especially. I felt that it was a special thing. Um, I loved a lot of the imagery that was written into it, but I never, I mean, I did not imagine it would have become what it did, that it would have gained the kind of momentum that it did uh, until I saw it at South by Southwest, and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Great. And the soundtrack is insanely The soundtrack's amazing. Oh. I love it. It's and again, like they wouldn't let me listen to it until the final. <laughs> wow, I, I was really impressed. Yeah, it, it's clearly a very like. Uh, it seems like it was an emotionally draining kind of performance, like because oh, yeah. there are there are some there are so many like powerful scenes, and again, like you're in every moment of the movie, like it's your movie. That's crazy. And I was I was wondering, like I know my personal favorite part, besides when you murder everyone. <laughs> Is, is when you tell the manager at the restaurant that like you're not one in a you're not there are, you're not a million other girls and like you sold that line so well I was like yeah like she's she's fucking in like she's going all the way um, but I was wondering if there's a scene for you that stood out like either affected you or you really found it like you hard to get to a certain place you know 
the hardest scene for me was um the hardest scene for me was going back to the producer's house Mm-hmm. That sequence was the most difficult because the that idea is the most difficult for me to. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I can handle like killing five people or throwing up maggots or picking off my fingernails, but yeah. this whole idea of sex as currency is like the most distasteful idea to me possible. There, there's mm-hmm. something about it that is so cynical you know mm-hmm. and so i don't know it's i mean i guess i i i you know i i guess i can understand why people would do that you know the whole casting couch thing they want this thing more than anything and what's you know five minutes of holding your nose for a lifetime of you know career or whatever but it's really not. I mean, it is a lifetime of knowing that you did that and you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, like, I placed a monetary value on something that's actually extremely personal. And uh, and I skipped steps in order to do it. Mm, yeah. So I, I have been given something that I did not necessarily earn. And uh, and, th- and that, that's something that's kind of, I mean, not that I really want to go down the whole Weinstein rabbit hole very much, but... I do remember when that broke and I do I do know that you know for all the women that he victimized there were also plenty of women who were happy to go along in exchange for an Oscar or a, a shot in a movie or whatever. Yep. And uh, and they and they were given those things for sure. It's not like Michael Bay who would, you know, talk some chick into sleeping with him and say, <laughs> put her in his movie. And then on the day, like frame her out of the shot. <laughs> like, that. like that guy's a fucking sociopath. I don't know how he has managed to <laughs> avoid, uh, you know, scrutiny. It's kind of mm. strange. Yeah. yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> I think we have to legally say allegedly. Well, I imagine you've heard some stories that maybe general public has not heard. Chilling, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. That scene was the hardest to watch for me. Yeah, I mean, it, and yeah. it's the tipping yeah. point of the movie. Like, it's 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 it was, it's meant to feel icky, and it it, it yeah, it yeah, feels. I was nauseous for it. <laughs> like, that was harder to watch than the maggots or anything. Yeah, it was the hardest for me to watch. I kind of like, and then they added the sound effects, and, I was, and afterwards, I was like, oh. I just really have to add in sound yeah. effects. It's so gross. They're like, yeah, it's supposed to be gross. I was like, yeah, but it's really gross. Yeah. <laughs> like I literally, my dad wanted to see it, and I was like, "You can watch the first forty minutes and turn it off." Yeah. 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 Has, did he ever? I mean, I guess he's probably watched it all at some point, right? No. He, oh, really? No. No, no. My because I, you know, my I don't know. My dad's like a a shy academic type. You know, <laughs> he's not really a horror person anyway so i basically was just like yeah you know up until i jump in the pool it's cool but after <laughs> that, it gets it's... really violent and gory and i don't want you to watch it and he was like for your dad it's it's the nice story of a girl struggling who goes for a swim right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they all stayed friends yeah it's rolled <laughs> nice group of friends yeah, yeah um but things work out well for her <laughs> she does drugs. The end. Drugs. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I think is really awesome is um, 
all the gore effects toward the end when you are basically just murdering everyone that it looks so visceral and i thought they did a really good job i assume it's mostly if not entirely all practical it's all practical yeah and that's That's so cool oh sorry Oh no, it's just so cool that you guys did practical effects. Oh, like, yeah, I know I, I I prefer practical effects like a hundred percent of the time. It almost always looks better. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. Like even puppetry looks better than CD. Yeah. <laughs> like just going back to Dark Crystal from a long time ago, it looks good, you know? Like there is a little bit of CG for like some of the background work, but like like fake blood is not that expensive. Just use yeah. it, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's true. And even at the time, like the, the, like the kind of special effects, like non-practical effects they would do back in the day, back in the eighties and nineties, even though it, even though it looks sort of archaic, it's still, I, I still find it easier to get lost in that. I find it easier to get swept away in it for some reason. It like engages my imagination more or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can go back and watch John Carpenter's the thing all day long. Yeah. I could never go back and watch Prometheus. That is a brilliant. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> don't have the time. <laughs> I just couldn't get past Charlize Theron running along the pathway. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really bizarre. I was in the movie theater and I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You guys spent like $200 million and she's just going to do that? All right. There is the one cool scene where she has to like use the whatever the operating machine on herself. That part was cool. Yeah. yeah. But that's like three minutes out of the whole movie. Well, right. Exactly. And that's not, I mean, it doesn't feel CGI heavy, you know, it does feel a little more visceral and something you would see in a canon alien movie. Yeah. And that's the problem with 3D is it always ends up feeling very weightless. It doesn't feel like it's there. You get like the stink of it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And so that, um, I I remember this is a quick aside, but in um, District 13, is that the one? Maybe I've, yeah. Yeah. Is that the number? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the alien one. District yeah. nine. District nine. Okay. District. I'm thinking of District B13, That's the parkour the, movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> District nine. Well, the way that he got around that was uh, because whenever you have CG and real characters interact, it's hard to make it look like it's the same gravity affecting them. Mm-hmm. Is he put a racial element in where he said nobody wants to touch the aliens, so they always put something down, and then the aliens would pick it up, or vice versa. Oh. So there'd be no interaction, oh. and that's how it ma- he made it yeah. look better. Oh, that's cool. But I've realized with coronavirus, that's the world we live in now. Because <laughs> I was getting coffee, and they wouldn't hand it to me directly. They put it down, and then I picked yeah. it up. <laughs> So we're all the aliens in District 9 now. Oh, wow. That means Dark. you'll get coronavirus and then learn to accept the infection. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't think we will. Yeah, no, I don't think it's going to turn out the same. <laughs> I'm not coming to visit you at the hospital. <laughs> um, that, that's, that's messed up, dude. You all heard it. She's Wait. fucking cold-hearted over here. You Alex, you need to know, we, we have a pod forsaken pact that if any of us gets attacked by a ghost, we're just going to leave the person. You don't try to help. Because you just die, too. Oh, yeah. Whenever I'm watching a horror movie and someone, like, stays around to help and they get murdered, I'm like, the minute a masked madman comes in, I'm gone. Like, <laughs> like you better run, too. Because, yeah. like... Oh, yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Like, why aren't you also running like I am? It's <laughs> <laughs> your own fault if you're that. <laughs> yeah. Um, same with, like, the minute the minute I'm in my living room and a coffee cup just moves across the table, I'm gone. Like, I'm not coming back. Like, I don't care what I don't care what the mortgage is, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it's so true. Yeah, no, it's hard in horror movies because you obviously have to give motivation for why the people stay in the house or stay in that situation. But that often takes me out of it if you can't come up with a good reason for it, you know? 
I completely agree. And and morbid curiosity is not a good enough reason to me. Like, how strange. (laughs) Yeah, like the mom in Poltergeist. So she's like, isn't it weird that our daughter slides across the floor? And I'm like, what do you mean strange? Time to go. (laughs) I get it if you're like a ghost hunter team and this is your job. Yeah. Uh, But other than that, like, no. (laughs) Ghost hunters. (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny that you say that your background was your mother was a stage actress, you said? Yeah. Yeah. I found that I don't know how much of that informed you or informed your acting style or like you just picked it up or, but like your, your physicality in starry eyes is incredible. And that really sells so much of what's going on. Yeah. Like a stage actress. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. I mean, I, I, I mean, stage is just in general, a very good training ground for acting. Even if you don't end up doing stage professionally, there's, something about telling a story from beginning to end without stopping in front of a live audience that I don't know it just kind of works on you a little bit you got to kind of figure it out on the spot and you got to really be on top of doing your homework and and like you say physicality I mean everyone has to be able to see what you're doing so it has to be really specific but physicality is also a big thing that you learn um depending upon the technique that you decide. Um, I did Meisner, the Meisner uh, program twice, just as I find it so helpful. Can you explain to our listeners and me what that is? (laughs) (laughs) There are like pretty much all modern acting techniques have come from uh, something called the group theater. That was sort of the uh, Renaissance of American acting. Um, and that was Sanford Meisner, Lee Strasberg, who is the father of the method technique. Okay. Kind of despised as a technique. I think it's extremely self-indulgent and mm-hmm. not necessarily effective or necessary. But and then there are also uh, Stella Adler and and many others. But Sanford Meisner developed his own, and they all they all kind of studied under Stanislavski, who you know him with along with Anton Chekhov sort of developed this first sort of foray into a new type of acting that kind of gravitated away from the more traditional sort of British technique of acting that comes from like Stratford on Avon and, you know, it's all very um, lugubrious and, uh, you know, just not to take anything away from British actors, they're very good. But anyway, so they all studied under Stanislavski and then they went off to do their own, develop their own techniques um, Stella Adler is also very good. I like her techniques very much. But Sanford Meisner I like because uh, his technique is extremely practical. It is a, a technique that you can employ on your own. You don't need a teacher holding your hand or, or that you have to constantly sort of check in with like you do sort of with the method. The, their whole thing was always very teacher-reliant. You know, you your teacher is your god, and you kind of have to lean on them, and and uh, which is what happened to Marilyn Monroe. And Strasburg's estate, Strasburg's family owns the Marilyn Monroe estate now. Wow! No, oh, I did not know that. Wow. It's uh, yeah, it's kind of there, there's something sort of nefarious about that, but you know, it's not a very healthy technique. I mean, there are people who have just never come back from that. That they, you know, especially if they have, because I, I don't know, I'm not going to get too much into it 
because I would much rather talk about movies. But yeah, of course. for all you aspiring actors out there, I highly recommend the Meisner technique. It's all about being in the moment, um, being in reaction to the other person, treating each moment as if it is something you are experiencing for the very first time. So anyway. Yeah. All I ever needed to hear about the method acting technique is um, the anecdote from Marathon Man, where uh, yeah, yes. Dustin Hoffman is uh, at the, the climax of the movie. It's like the torture scene, right? And he's like, Dustin Hoffman like went on like a two-day bender. He stayed out all night, was going crazy, so he'd look like haggard and rough. And he shows up to yeah. set, and Laurence Olivier is sitting in the chair next to him, and he goes like, Oh, what what'd you get up to, my boy? And he goes like, oh, I've been I've been uh, just totally in it. I'm trying to get in the scene. And Lawrence Olivier goes, have you ever tried acting? <laughs> you could just try acting. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's another thing. Like, it's so, it's, there's something about that that is so ego-driven to me. And it becomes this whole legend about what the actor did to prepare. And isn't that impressive that they put on weight or slept in the forest or worked, washed dishes or whatever the fuck. I mean, it's not, I don't care. I don't care what an actor does to prepare. I care about whether or not I give a shit about their character. Am I watching an actor act or am I watching a person have an experience in this imaginary circumstance? Yeah, well said. I'm going to just fucking put that quote at the front of each episode. Yeah. (laughs) Because I I, whenever I always say that, like, whenever we say, like, a movie is bad, there's really two things we're talking about. We either mean that, like, the logic of the film isn't making sense or we aren't believing the characters in the situation. So that's where it comes out to you can you can believe spaceships and wizards and aliens, but if you're like that person is running when they should be fighting or vice versa, you instantly break out of the. The, what did you call it? Like a 90 minute dream, Chris? Yeah, the continuous uninterrupted dream. Yeah. Or like, I don't believe this person has ever smoked pot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't believe this person lives on the streets. I don't believe this person has ever knows anything about the thing they're trying to portray. So how do, how do you approach that? I don't, you don't need to get into the miser technique, but I'm just curious, like what your truth for finding honesty is. Uh, the thing is, that there, there are so many things about characters and stories that are universal you know i don't i don't have to have actually been cheated on by a husband to know what betrayal feels like right you know i don't have to run a marathon actually run a marathon to know what being tired feels like right you know there there i think it is far more effective to employ your imagination than try and drudge up, you know, a memory of your dead dog or, or something more traumatic than that, which mm. brings me back to why I don't really agree with the method Yeah, because it, it, they, they have uh, this technique called sense memory where you essentially try to evoke traumatic experiences that will help you get to an emotional place in your acting. And sure, you may get a good performance out of doing that, but you may also really do damage to yourself when you should be talking to a professional about what that thing is that you are evoking. Yeah. And it's, it's simply not necessary. You can, you can give, I mean, uh, Robert Duvall is a perfect example. He is a Meisner student. Um, Gregory Peck, also uh, uh, Sidney Pollack, one of the finest actors of all time. All of these 
people I completely believe I am completely lost in whatever they're doing, completely captivated. And they're not, you know, trying to work themselves up into a frenzy. They simply do their homework. And then when you get to set, you trust that it's all there and you throw it away and you don't think about it. I think that your brain is your worst enemy when you are trying to act in a scene with somebody or by yourself. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> I want to jump. I want to jump forward. Like we could talk about acting theory all day. I know. Yeah. I, I would like to talk about Doctor Sleep. Yeah. So first of all, for those who don't know, uh, Alex plays uh, Shelley Duvall's character Wendy Torrance, and I'm curious how. That's your first time working with Mike Flanagan, right? Yeah. So how did you get get the role? I have a bunch of questions. Let's start there. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um. So I went in. The, the audition that I got said that it was for a WB short film, oh. like a proof of concept film. They did not say what the project was. All the names had been changed in the sides that I got. Oh. But they had all been changed by like one letter. <laughs> so you were Wendy Terrence? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Dick Halloran was Rick. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was stuff like that. And, the character I was reading for would call her son Doc. So I was kind of like, hmm. <laughs> so just to kind of hedge my bets, I kind of, I don't know, I had like an inkling that there was something like that going on. Because instead of The Shining, they would call it The Glowing. Mm, okay. <laughs> the Shining. So, like, yeah, it's like a superhero thing. I was like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I saw the Warner Brothers logo when I drove in. <laughs> yeah, right. I wonder how many people auditioned and were like, "The glowing, this sounds cool." <laughs> well, especially if they hadn't seen The Shining, which woe, woe is them. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there are some people out there, but you're right. Woe, it's, it's, it's my personal favorite horror film. Maybe tied with The Exorcist. Those two are like just amazing to me. Yeah, I, I agree. And The Shining is is probably my favorite Kubrick film too. And I love Kubrick. I mean, I think he's a mad genius. But I yeah. like the moon landing the most. <laughs> That's certainly his most realistic one. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, so you went in, you auditioned, and did did you get it? You know, like in the room, or did they call you back? Or and like when you were doing it, were you were you trying to evoke Shelley Duvall's version, or were you doing your own take on it? I was I was doing my own take on it, but the the thing with Wendy is that there is something about her that is very innocent and very naive, um, which is what makes her such a fantastic character. You know, it, it wouldn't hurt Shelley Duvall in that part. And that character wouldn't have carried so much weight if she was, you know, if it was like Angelina Jolie mm -hmm. yeah. and it would, and she was like a badass. She was prepared for anything. I mean, what makes that character and that performance so interesting is how unprepared she is. She has never, probably ever even been in a fight in her life. <laughs> and now she's thrown into this situation, this life or death situation that she could never have foreseen. So the character of Wendy, I mean, there, there are certain things that you have to have no matter what, whether it's Shelley Duvall or anybody else playing it, you still have to have that vulnerability and that, that gentleness you know, because the only reason that she's able to rise to the occasion is because of her son and how devoted she is to him, of course, as any mother is or ought to be. So so that, you know, going in 
to an audition like that, those are the elements that I wanted to bring no matter what. And, and along with that, it does, you know, your, your voice is in a different register. Yeah. I mean, I'd also seen The Shining like 500 times at that point. (laughs) I have ingrained in my brain, no matter what. I mean, she's one of my favorite actresses. I, um, cause I'm a big Stephen King fan. And so like, I already, I had already read Dr. Sleep, the novel. So when they were making the movie, I was curious, like, how are you going to bridge this strange gap between the book version and the movie version how do you do these actors who are no longer are too old to play the part you know shelly duvall passed away right yeah is she still alive my apologies shelly duvall and she uh she she's struggling um with some pretty severe mental illness actually oh man wow yeah as far as I mean, what i've seen it, it looks like schizophrenia to me mm. oh but i haven't seen in a i haven't seen a formal diagnosis because she hasn't had any help um i actually uh, i can send you guys the link i just donated to this gofundme for oh, her oh wow. please we, we would yeah. be happy to yeah we'll post that i'm glad something good will come out of me steering the conversation in such a dark <laughs> place <laughs> but um so i mean obviously that you you did a really excellent job of like of like bringing back that character but i imagine that had Thank to be you. somewhat challenging and the same goes for everyone yeah. re- doing recurring roles because yeah. As an actor, you want to put your you want it to be your part, but you're also picking up a part that's kind of like super famous and well known, right? Right. Well, and the the thing is, it's I mean, I didn't I didn't go into it necessarily thinking like I want it to be my part. Like I, I wanted I, I I did want to honor the work that Shelley Duvall had done because I think it is so totally perfect for the character. Um, but I just wanted to do that without doing, you know, what are the elements that she brings to this role? I should also have, like, as I say, the naivety, the gentleness, the, you know, all of these sort of characteristics to do that. If it were me in that situation, yeah. essentially. And I thought that they did that really well with everyone across the board. I mean, I thought Carl Lundley was fantastic as Dick Halloran. Oh, he nailed it. He really did. I w- for for a second, I thought they were using that like see you know like like the Rogue One technology. I was like, wait, did they somehow yeah. recreate him? Right. No, it um. I thought the movie turned out really well and I was disappointed as imagine everyone involved was that it didn't, it didn't perform so well at the box office. Yeah. Well, cause again, like it came out in a time where not as many people have seen the shining, yeah. you know, like a year before they had done like the shining on the streaming platforms, they kind of did that whole thing, but it wasn't something that's so, and also you see a movie doctor sleep, people don't immediately associate that with the shining. No, I think that was almost a bigger problem. Yeah, I mean, I I, I understand, like, it, part of that's a marketing thing, right? Like, yeah. calling, I mean, you don't want to call it The Shining Part 2, yeah. but I can't, you kind of yeah. have to. Like, yeah. Yeah. My, well, my only hope is that it grows, you know, a following, you know, on, on streaming and, and DVD and Blu-ray and such. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, again, it's, I mean, as you know, it's it's very different than The Shining, and yet it it does a really good job of being both, like, like faithful to the book and as a sequel to Kubrick's version. Yeah. And I thought uh, Mike Flanagan did a really good job with the ending of finally like giving Stephen King that ending. He always wanted to give it. I remember being in the theater being like, you know, this, I would not have figured out how to have done this correctly. And he really fucking nails the ending of that movie. Oh, it, it brought me to tears. The first time I read it, that final moment mm-hmm. was so profound. And I also loved what he did. Well, and actually I loved what Henry Thomas did um, with the Jack Torrance character because it, 
it wasn't really Jack Torrance. It was the hotel being Jack Torrance being uh, Lloyd the bartender. Yes, because it his version of it feels the least like the the how to put this. He feels not totally like the way Jack Nicholson is doing it, but that's intentional. Exactly. 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 Yeah, it's like the hotel's impression of him while while designating him in that. But in the director's cut, I don't know if you guys saw the director's cut. No, it's on the list though. <laughs> there's an entire extra scene between a uh, hotel Jack and Ewan in the bathroom. Oh, it's fantastic. I I, I really wish they had kept it in, but it, the runtime would have been way too long. I mean, it was already it was already like two and a half hours, right, when it came out. I mean, it's it's a hefty movie. It is. Yeah. But I, I absolutely will be watching the director's cut. That's, I mean, again, as a Stephen King fan, I kind of have to. You know, and as a Mike Flanagan fan. Right, yeah. And I love that Mike still imbued it with his own style, too. It's not like he tried to do a Kubrick style of filmmaking or anything yeah. like that. Um, I mean, there are homages to it, certainly. But, no, I, I was I was really happy with it. And I really, I mean, because I've seen it a couple times now at, at screenings and stuff. And I just love that scene between Ewan and and uh, Henry. Yeah, it is a great scene. That's probably yeah, probably the best scene of the movie. Yeah, it's really touching because it's essentially Ewan trying to get closure with his father. It's this very profound moment of him, you know, being out following in the footsteps of his dad without his dad's guidance and trying to to wrap that all up and explain to him how. <laughs> How, what, how devastating that was for him and his mother. And the response is a monologue about how much he hates his family. Jack, I mean. Yeah. No, I, I got, there were several moments in the film that actually made me a little teary-eyed. There was that and the part where like the old man in the, the convalescence home <gasps> like gives him his name, Dr. Sleep. Oh and I, I, I started choking up and I was like, I, I even knew this part was coming, but it was, it's really well done. Mike Flanagan's, I mean, obviously you know him better than I do, but he, <laughs> He seems to really be able to balance the horror with like true human emotion. And I think that's yeah. why people respond to every single thing he does, regardless of its topic, you know? Yeah. Like no offense, but the movie that beat sorry eyes on my list was hush, you know, like I, yeah. like, I think hush is just fucking amazing. You know, hush is amazing. Uh, Kate Siegel is, is incredible in it. I mean, that is not an easy role to play at all and actually she and mike wrote that movie together yeah Whoa. that's that's what yeah. i that's what i'd read apparently they right they like walked through like what would you really do in this situation yeah and that's why it feels so real because that character is always behaving like a real human being you know and and you're like try to run and she tries to run you're like don't do that right like what do you do and it feels like yeah. it comes to a natural conclusion the way it would have to right Exactly. They don't try to manipulate anything in the interest of moving the story forward. Exactly. Very true. And um, and then obviously we were so we were talking about how uh, on a previous episode about how like there's hints about Midnight Mass in some of his previous work. Right. There's the book in Gerald's yes. game. What do you do? Yeah. You know what the other ones are? There's not one in every single thing he does, is there? No, there's not. I mean, he he wrote that script maybe seven years ago. Oh, I didn't realize. Okay. I thought he just had like an idea. Yeah. Um, there's a, oh, God. Let's see if I can remember them all. I, there's a reference to it in Oculus and uh, and, and, in, and in Hush as well. Um, that's a book that she's writing, actually. Ah, uh, okay. 
I think in in haunting, there's one too. So I mean, obviously, you guys worked well together because he was like, "Come, come be in Midnight Mass." But you're, Corinda, you're also in Haunting of Bly Manor, right? Yes. Uh, are you allowed to talk about that at all? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us. Tell us something. <laughs> well, is it better than the turning? <laughs> um, it's so it's. I don't know if you guys have ever read The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Yep. Well, we read the Wikipedia article on it. Oh, <laughs> Rodney read me the Wikipedia We've article. We've seen The Innocence and The Turning. Yeah, we did a double feature episode on it. Oh, my God. The Innocence is one of my favorites. I love The Innocence so much. That is a movie that I saw that when I was maybe 13 or something like that. And that mm-hmm. was a movie that really, like, was one of those turning point movies for me. Because Deborah Carr is so brilliant in it. And yeah. it's a, just such a beautiful, true, like, gothic story (laughs) it's really Mm -hmm. um and the children are are amazing but so when i found out that that was going to be season two of Bly, i was like oh my god (laughs) he said can you do a british accent and i said yes i can uh and then i figured out how to do one (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the attitude there we go yeah much um but i still worked with a a dialogue coach as well because i i wanted to get it perfect you know because there's that whole thing of like oh you know brits can do american but americans can't do brits and i was like mm-hmm. fucking we will see about that so <laughs> hopefully you know hopefully i i achieved that but it, it was fun so i play the mother of the two orphan children that she's seen. Whoa, okay cool. again very very tragic i mean he 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 really does know how to tell an extremely ga- engaging human story, no matter what the backdrop is. Um, but that's also because his background in film is not exclusively horror. Like his favorite movie is all that jazz, which I don't know if you guys know. Wow. Gorgeous movie, brilliant. It's about uh, Bob Fosse, but it's also directed by Bob Fosse. I knew it was about Bob Fosse. I did not know he directed it. Yeah, it seems like a conflict of interest. <laughs> Have you not seen Rodney Altman, the movie? <laughs> Coming soon. It's really good. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies as well. It's it's pretty incredible. Well, I'm I'm very excited for you because when these two things hit Netflix, I think your star is going nothing but up. You I know? think so too. Yeah. Like, You're get yeah. that IMD rating up. Yeah. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Like, I, uh, like, you know that when, when Midnight Mass drops, if they ever shoot it at this point, but which they will, they will eventually they will. obviously get around to it. I just think like Mike Flanagan, Mike's, I can't say his name, Flanagan is becoming such a household mm-hmm. name. Yeah. And I feel pretty soon that will be you as well, Alex. Yeah. Again, I point everyone to go see Starry Eyes and, and check out Dr. Sleep. Um, but you actually, you have a gigantic like uh, filmography of other things we can see you in as well. Yes. <laughs> is there, is there any one thing that you, that you really loved being in that you feel like more people should check out? Uh, Yes. There is a movie I did. I, I have a smaller part in it, but it's called Fashionista, and it's by director Simon Montgomery, who has he directed uh, Red, White, and Blue, which I love. Um, and they both star Amanda Fuller, who played my roommate in Starry Eyes. Ah. Oh, okay. Cool. It was wonderful, and it's it's basically about a, a woman who has an unhealthy obsession with clothing. And kind of how that unravels her life. It's it's wonderful, and I really think more people should see it. It's it's beautifully shot too. 
I did a movie called Midnighters, which is more of like a kind of crime thriller, but it has this real like kind of early 90s Mike Lee feel to it. Like, I don't know. Do you guys ever see The Cement Garden? Mm-mm. No. If, Chris, did you see no. it? It seems like a Chris movie. It does, yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. It stars a very young Charlotte Gainsbourg. Um, and I don't want to say too much because it's very cool and moody and beautifully shot. And, and Midnighters. No, it's funny. The more we talk to you, the more you're the one who knows the most about movies out of yeah, all I of know, us. I know. Like, you're just like throwing out names. And I'm like, oh boy. Like, I've never heard of that one. Oh, <laughs> I, I saw Dr. Sleep. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen Pet Cemetery? <laughs> um, no, my uh, my classical filmography is a little lacking, I must say. But I will check out. I will check. It's the Cement Garden you were saying. The Cement Garden. You're saying that Midnighters is like that. It, it, a- atmospherically, it's like that. The, the aesthetic of it is very similar. It's very kind of cold lighting. It has. It, it, it does remind me of like an er, like a meditative early '90s indie film. Oh um, wow. But it's 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 cool. It was really fun. It's very how do I describe it? I don't know. My words are escaping me. I had too much caffeine, so no. <laughs> sometimes the best thing is just put it on and watch it and find out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's another movie I did called The Neighbor, which was directed by Marcus Dunstan, who uh, wrote and directed a few of the Saw movies. Ah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and he. Now always, you're speaking Rodney's language. I'm a big. I'm a big Saw fan. On a yeah. previous episode, I like went on and on about how much I love Saw, <laughs> like the franchise in general. Yeah, he's and Marcus is like the sweetest, kindest person I've ever met in my life. He never swears. He has nothing really bad to say about anything. Is it kind of kind of like a lot of people in the horror community? They love all the blood and gore, but they're like the sweetest, nicest people. <laughs> that you can yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny, kind of like metalheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just love the idea of like a 1950s very principled guy. Like, we're gonna go over here. We're gonna really gonna f up his face. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of like that. He's like this really sweet guy from Minnesota. Who like loves horror so movies and yeah. I, I can't say enough good things about him. Um, but that's cool. Oh shucks, I, they're, they're, we're gonna disembowel him and then we're gonna have the blood just gush everywhere. <laughs> but that was fun because it it, it honors a, a something that seems to be a trend in my career where I bludgeon people to death. Mm. Oh, you did a great bludgeoning in Starry Eyes. <laughs> you got the maggot claws and you have the bludgeon claws. Yeah. <laughs> no maggots, but there's got to be a bludgeoning. See. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I um no that bludgeoning in Starry Eyes is so graphic. Yeah. I don't know. I was like, it, can you show it this much? Like it was really gross. Yeah. Oh yeah, they really leaned into that. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. They're like, just keep doing it till she's pudding. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh my god, poor Natalie. She's such a doll too. Well, it, I mean. I, I look forward to checking out more of your work, and obviously, I'm dying to see these new Netflix shows. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, I'm excited. <laughs> I there's a whole bunch of movies we could talk about, but I kind of definitely want to talk about the movie you picked for us to watch, which is Eyes of Fire from 1983. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, this I you know it's funny when you said it. I had no idea what it was, but when I saw the the cover art, I instantly went back to my childhood and saw it in the video store. Really? And I was like, I have been seeing this cover my entire life, but I actually don't know what this movie is. So I was really excited to watch this, knowing nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So tell us why did like tell us why did you pick it? 
and uh, why, you know, the gist of what it's about. I mean, I, I picked it because I, I just wanted to pick something that that maybe was more obscure that people may not have seen or, or know about, because I, I think it's a movie that definitely deserves to be known. I would love, I would love to remake it. <laughs> it, it feels like yeah. it might be time for that. You know, every time we have a guest, I feel like they, they go further and further into the obscure bin. This movie is really obscure, mm -hmm. and I appreciate you going deep for this yeah. one. It's so obscure you can only watch it on YouTube. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like you can't, you can't get a DVD. You can't. You rent can't even. It. You can't even find it on a torrent if well, you're the type so of person to use torrents, which I'm not. From YouTube, like it was really unfortunate that that's the only copy available. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, there's got to be a, a DVD of it. So well, I guess, I guess it hasn't. But yeah. if on Amazon, you can buy it if you wait like several weeks for shipping. Yeah. But it does seem like YouTube is the only place. Yeah. And it's probably just if you buy it on Amazon, they're probably just burning it from YouTube onto <laughs> a disc and then they yeah. mail it to you. And the quality will be even worse. Yeah. Um, they actually. So I, I found it because I went down a YouTube hole, as I do. I spent entirely too much time on YouTube, but I was watching. Um, what was it? Hacks on has on. Hexing. Oh yeah, he hexing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I hear that's good. Yeah. Is it? I mean, it's 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 great. It's super cool. It's all about you know real witchcraft practices. You know, just kind of depicting them. And it's you know a silent movie, and it's the imagery is really cool. And I, I I was watching it just for for a reference to something else. Um, and then I just started clicking on the things that were, um, you know, that they recommend underneath it, and. I came to Eyes of Fire like a couple movies in. And at first I was like, oh, this is just some 80s like full screen <laughs> video thing. But the more I watched it, I was like, oh, this is actually a really great script. And I really like the imagery and the choices. And and the, the only reason I wouldn't remake it right now is because I feel like it's something that may have inspired the witch because it has a lot for of... sure 100 percent. Yep. Yeah. that's what i was thinking the whole i was time. like this is 1983's mm. the witch yes yeah pretty mm -hmm. much and i love the witch i mean robert eggers Me is too. Uh, you know a genius as far as i'm concerned and I, I love his technique of making everything exactly historically correct no matter what he's working on i think that's there's so much artistic integrity in that but eyes of fire like is now one of my favorite sort of obscure horror movies. I thought they did such a good job. And the themes of it are so cool. Like The Witch, that whole, you know, piousness is hubris disguised as morality kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, you know, the 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 preacher is his own worst enemy and 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 also, I mean, something that's kind of universal throughout horror movies is that theme of the illusion of control. That's why people go into the house. That's why they desecrate the sacred things. That's why they laugh at the old woman, you know, throughout <laughs> these movies. Why do they do that? So that they, you know, want to feel like they're not in danger. Kind of like, the, you know, the, this whole coronavirus thing. <laughs> when people are like, oh, whatever, just go to the movies or do this and that. It's not a big deal because they want to. Just get together and do a podcast yeah. and sit next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> She's actually in LA. Hey, you're, She's you're just called just on in. The street, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. So, Eyes of Fire is basically it's like there's a preacher and he. 
I'm a I was a little confused by it, but basically he is accused of like witchcraft and sleeping with this other man's wife. Yeah, he's accused of adultery and polygamy because he was already living with a woman, but that woman is not his wife. She's not sexually involved with him at all. She's actually this sort of fairy they call her she's like an she's the girl with the big red hair yeah exactly she's got it like this otherworldly being that he saves from being burned at the stake and so she goes with him everywhere so anyway this woman leaves her her husband who's a trapper because he's gone all the time and shacks up with this preacher and they get run out of town because of that and they come to you know on their way they have to you know endure cheyenne indians attacking them and you know, rogue mercenary type dudes. And they come to this valley that none of the Cheyenne will enter. And they think, ah, perfect. This is safe. And look, there's already an abandoned house here that we can live in. Yeah. <laughs> but then why is it abandoned? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, uh, this, I mean, first of all, this movie's really weird. It was really weird. Yeah. Like there were, there were things I liked and things I didn't. Right. Like I love the visuals. I thought yeah. the use of like firelight, in a lot of the night scenes gave it a really creepy vibe and very, it felt very real in those moments. Yeah. Yes. Or, and even some of the, the moonlight and his close-ups are fantastic too. Yeah. It's a very cinematic movie. And I also acknowledge like watching it on YouTube, there is some yeah. degradation of That's quality. That's on us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's no other way to see it really. I, yeah. I was yeah. like, I, I'm sure this, if you watched it on like a 35 millimeter print, this probably looks well, gorgeous. I feel like it's like stunning. I feel like the level of skill is like really masterful and we're not getting like all yeah. the strong suits of the movie from well especially thinking that knowing that it's made in 1983 yeah yeah and probably for not a lot of money it's cinema cinematically this is a weird comp but it actually kind of reminded me of like predator really yeah oh, totally. like there's a, like a lot of drop frames and there's like a lot of uh like very sort of shuddery movement and like weird like on film effects yeah, you're right. There's like the part where they're putting the cross up and it's very like orange and like mm -hmm. like filtered. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't have thought of Predator, but I see why you're saying that. Yeah. I, I was trying to come up with like other things and like I was like, I feel like I've seen some of this stuff before. Maybe this inspired other things. Yeah. I, thought, I just couldn't I couldn't pull them, though. I thought the part where Arnold Schwarzenegger covers himself in mud and fights the preacher was yes. weird. <laughs> yeah. But I liked it, though. <laughs> Look, I liked it. True Lies. Great movie. Actually, there, there are a lot of people covered in mud in this movie. There's like. All of that stuff I love, like the faces in the trees. There's yes. like frequently you see like faces like in the bark of trees. Yeah. yeah. The witch herself. I love how they do that. Yeah. Like mood and atmosphere, high points. A plus. Movie. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. overall uh, production design. And I like that like sort of like quiet, sleepy lore almost, where it's like you have the trapper, the guy that's like, yeah, they say that all the evil in the world, the, the, the blood of the innocents collects in one place and it grows into a tree and you're just like ooh, that's so fucked up i know it sounds real like this yeah. movie felt real and like some of the image like the images i feel like will stay in my head like some of like they were very haunting yeah images and the mythology of it as as chris was saying is really cool to me the way they kind of set that up and you know the cheyenne say this and other people say that and you know who's yeah. to say and then you have this uh sort of otherworldly character and I, I i love that i love i love the practical approach to witchcraft i think that's so cool i don't i, I hate it when they get all like cgi and you know waving wands and things like that 
So you must love Harry Potter. <laughs> love Harry Potter. <laughs> I love all seven of those movies. I'll watch them anytime. I mean, that's the world that they have set up. You know, I mean, that their their magic follows its own rules, and and Harry Potter right. is not trying to be a, a naturalistic witchcraft movie yeah. at all. I mean, that's yeah. supposed to be like an imaginative feast, which right. it really is. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's it's a pretty straight shot, and I appreciate that. I don't. I I personally wanted to be a little more scared and a little more on the edge of my seat. But you know what? It kind of felt like it felt like the supernatural version of the cattle drive sequence in Lonesome Dove, <laughs> <laughs> where it's just like you're on a journey and it's weird. <laughs> I I mean, look, it's it's hard to again. I think so much of it has to do with watching it on YouTube. It's yeah. hard to be scared yeah. from a YouTube video, even if it is a feature film. And I have no idea, like, if this would have been scary for audiences in 1983 or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, the reviews on this are sort of all over the map, you know? Like, some people are like, this oh, yeah. is a fucking masterpiece. And other people are like, this is a train wreck, right? Yeah. And so, I, I will tell you, this is on me. I I watched the whole thing, but I just somehow, I guess my mind tuned out in those couple first minutes. And I didn't understand who the redheaded witch woman was. And I was just sort of like, okay, she's on the journey, but is she, who is she? Right. I did the same. Actually. I had to, I went back and watched the first 20 minutes twice the second time. Like the trapper dude. I was like, I get it. That dude's married to that girl. She's banging the preacher. Everyone else are just like characters one through eight, you know, (laughs) and the redheaded witch woman. Yeah. The setup is very convoluted, especially with all the other people that are with them, like with the Mm -hmm. central characters. Like it's, it's it, it starts out as like I said when I first started watching it I was like snore like whatever like this is some sort of pioneer day soap opera or something and then I just kind of left it on and and became more interested as it went on but yeah I mean the, the, totally I mean my my criticism of it would also be that the beginning is a little slow and kind of weak and it it doesn't really let you know what you're in for. Yeah. But, I, you know, I mean, there's something about that that I also kind of like, that it's a sort of red herring to the actual story. It just mm, isn't quite, you know, a bullseye. Yeah, and, like, it's it's almost impossible to pull off a perfect movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, art is subjective anyway. Right. But um, I like, I, I enjoy a movie that doesn't telegraph where we're headed, you know? Right. So... Movies where you're like, I, what is this? And then when it's like, uh, we, we recently talked about like The Perfection on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that, but like, I did, yeah. Movies like that where you're just like, where are we going? And then it just suddenly veers in a new direction. So yeah, I'm watching like the story of like uh, settlers on a boat going to the woods. And I'm like, uh, and then she like moves the thing on the boat. And I was that like, was oh, cool. that, yeah, that's oh, she has like magic powers. The, like, I got into it right then. It, it's funny. We've gotten to the point where like, I can, I kind of know when Missy is into the movie, even though I'm watching it separately. I'm like, <laughs> oh, there's a witch in it missy's in <laughs> um, but once they get to where they're going that's when crazy shit starts happening and i was like okay this is this is pretty cool mm-hmm. but it is bonkers like i can't like afterwards i had to re like read the wikipedia article to make sure i understood it i was like yeah no that's everything i saw yeah yeah pretty much there's like at one point they they find like a native american little girl oh, right yeah. who I forget if she wanders into the camp or they assume so, yeah. Right. Yeah. But then the the fairy girl, her name is actually Fairy, is that right? No, her name is Leah. Leah, my bad. See what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so Leah like sees her and she she actually sees her as like a 
like a demon child. Like she kind of looks like a werewolf. I'm like, that's how it kind of looked. But, but man, this movie just has a lot. There's like demon children, tree people. There's like a whole clan of, are they like, like ghost demons? I don't even know what those are. That like the, they're the corrupted souls of the people who died there previously. Oh, that makes sense. I feel like I was watching stuff that was cool to watch, but I didn't know what I was seeing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I feel like this will make more sense on us. How many times have you watched this, Alex? Uh, probably like three times. Oh, okay. okay. Wow. You, you I yeah. feel like a second time would for sure it would they, really help. Yeah. Would help. Find um that tablet that's all in French. Yes, right. And it tells about like the French settlers that had been there before, and then and then Leah sees them that night. She sees them like wandering around. Ah, that's okay. Yeah. I see. <laughs> yeah, I um I watched it a second time too for that reason. <laughs> Once that imagery starts amping up, it it becomes kind of distracting. Where you're kind of like, wait, I need to go back so that I know. <laughs> who this is happening to and who they are exactly. Yeah, right. That's also like watching a low-res version of a period thing where it's like everyone's yeah. dressed the same and looks the same. That's I, right. Everyone was looking similar to me. That yeah. was yeah because of the resolution. You know yeah. what? I, I'm going to track down a higher quality. That would be awesome. I'm going to track down a higher quality that. of this, and we're going to do a rewatch. I think that would be awesome. There is no DVD of it. They never did a DVD right. print. Yeah. Right. But So what are they selling on Amazon? I don't get it. I don't know. All right. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I feel like this influenced a lot of people though yeah you know what? i'm gonna what's what's quentin tarantino's theater the new beverly mm-hmm. i'm gonna write to them yeah. if anyone in this town has a print of this movie it's yeah. quentin tarantino and his yeah. like wine cellar i bet this played at cinephile because they they did like whole weeks of like all old witch prints that's where i saw hacks well they actually did they screened it at the silent movie theater yeah you guys are on the same wavelength here this is fucking crazy <laughs> yeah they did it. They, as you say they did that whole like two weeks of witch movies and yeah cool. i saw a bunch of them but not this one. Uh, yeah but they so did they probably have a print somewhere i mean there's so many good ones like I, I i actually was thinking about picking um the what is it ken russell's the demons Yes, I've been dying to see that oh it's oh. fantastic i love ken russell so much i don't know demons we should watch it. Is it The Demons or just Demons? Oh, uh, I think it's The Demons, because Demons okay. is that Bava movie. Right, Which we've yes. seen that. that we, you watched that with me, didn't you've you? You've seen it. I haven't seen I it. I thought you watched it with me. I don't think so. Oh. Well, you really know your obscure, your obscure horror. Uh, what are some other Ken Russell movies? I'm blanking on this. The Devils or? The, oh, The Devils. Sorry, not The Demons. The Devils. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Well, I haven't seen that one either. <laughs> Now we've each called something the wrong title. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> no, I do know. Actually, there's just too many titles to keep track of. There is, especially when you have demon or 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 devil mm-hmm. in your title. Mm-hmm. Well, right, exactly. But Ken Russell also did a movie called In the Lair of the White Worm. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. I uh I also have not seen that, but <laughs> you know the like like we talk about the. The reason we do this podcast is specifically to tell people about films they haven't seen. So, like, these are all things that viewers might want to check out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, like yeah. The, the demon wears Gucci. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> what, uh, is there anything else that, you, that you've seen of late? Or any, like, like, I know you had another film you wanted us to watch, but the Bergman film? Ah, yes, The Hour of the Wolf. Yeah, what? So we, I don't have any of you seen The Hour of the Wolf, Mm -mm. Chris? All right. Do you want to tell us about that a little bit? Like, we can't talk about it with you, but I have questions. Like, are you a big Bergman fan? Yes. Uh, I'm a Bergman fan. And Hour of the Wolf is basically like his horror movie. The only thing, like, kind of close, well, 
There's also, wait a minute, let me look something up real quick. I always have my laptop ready to go. When uh, oh, there we go. Yeah, he also did a, another movie called uh, The Magician, which is also like very creepy and atmospheric, and I highly recommend it. Um, but The Hour of the Wolf is similar to like Eyes of Fire or The Witch in the sense that it's it's Max von Sydow and uh, Liv Ullman living on this sort of remote island, and he's kind of haunted by the ghosts of his past. Um, but she can also see them and it's sort of, it's really amazing. I mean, the atmosphere that's created is fantastic. The writing is really cool. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would highly recommend that as well. Very cool. We'll check it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, jumping back to eyes of fire real quick, right? What exactly like happens at the end there? Right. Because like the, the mud people like come out of the ground, they kill the preacher, right? But re just remind me, like, I just watched it, and it's kind of, like, slipping from my mind, And right? I watched it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny, though. It is almost kind of like remembering a dream. Yeah, that's what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, the whole movie has this yeah. dreamlike quality. Yeah. yeah. At like, any point in the movie, you have to ask yourself, how did I get here? Like, if, if, the, if I, like, yeah. went on YouTube later and it wasn't there and it wasn't on Wikipedia, yeah. that would make sense to me. <laughs> if I was like, maybe, it, maybe there is no Eyes of Fire. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe it was never there. I remember at the end because there's like a there's like a, um, a bookend where like these like French soldiers are talking with this little girl and she's like recounting the story. Yeah. And then it cuts oh, back. Yeah, and his eyes. Are his eyes start glowing, and his are the eyes of fire. I assume. I did re rewind that several times. Yeah, I didn't know either. I was just like, I don't understand, but I, I guess the evil the evil is following her. Yeah, like it latched onto them, or or I mean. I mean, I, I, it could just also be one of those things, kind of like the end of the Thriller music video. Right. You know, where it was kind of like this element. Let's just put a, let's just put a button on it and get out of here. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. you could read into that and, and say that it's, you know, the, the evil that lives in all men's hearts because this, this witch is supposed to be an amalgam of all the people that have died violently you know that she she quote unquote is everywhere but i think it's also just kind of the, one of those like dun 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 mm -hmm. mm. yeah so it almost doesn't matter yeah it's kind of yeah. clean clean up your popcorn bag get out yeah. of here it's a it's a <laughs> the end question mark <laughs> well it's it's interesting because as we've just as we talked with you you it's clear that your tastes run more to the call it the independent dreamy think pieces and less friday the 13th it seems like it, I mean, it really depends. I I don't I don't love gore porn. It's hard for me to just watch coeds get hacked to pieces just because that that I find extremely disturbing. I also find the the marriage of campy sexuality and hardcore gore like it's something I have a really hard time watching. I actually find it more disturbing than more like atmospheric stuff. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, so you struggle with gore, yet you star in a movie with gore. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's gotcha. <laughs> um, I like gore just fine if it's if it's justified. I think that you know, gore itself you can do really cool things with. Like, I I love Dario Argento. I love. He's my favorite director of anyone yeah her, she said her favorite movie is deep red are you familiar with deep red yes you, you watched it and hated it right <laughs> well, i've never seen deep red I'm pretty sure we made you watch that one no missy thinks that i've watched every jollo that exists but that's I, not true i think no we didn't we saw it in that 
Okay. The marathon of the Egyptians. We, we have the device from <laughs> Clockwork Orange, and we strap <laughs> Rodney in. <laughs> I've, I've tried, Alex. I've tried to watch so many Jollos, and there's just something that's not connecting for me. Like, I like their, their, their vibe, but mm-hmm. Suspiria is by far the best in my book. That one is very cool. Yeah. Deep Red, I have not seen. That's the one with, like, the doll on the cover, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just haven't seen it. Um, I mean, I like Suspiria, and I, I, I especially like it stylistically, but there, there's also something about Giallo films that I, I think people have a hard time with the fact that everything is, every line is 80-yard. And also, especially if it's something like Suspiria, which is written in English by someone whose first language is Italian, you get these very kind of, you get this very clunky dialogue and a lot of exposition where characters just say what they feel or they just say what they think. Um, and Deep Red is a little different. I think it's the, the dialogue is a little more nuanced. Um, but I also just, I mean, the camera work in Deep Red is fantastic. It's gorgeous and really pretty brilliant, honestly. But also Demons. Demons is Baba, uh, I think, would technically be considered a giallo film. I think so. Close enough. And it's, I mean, it's really scary. Yeah, I know. I think my my favorite Argento is Phenomena. Oh, yeah, I love Phenomena. God, I haven't seen that in forever. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> um, but I did not really like Mother of Tears that much. I thought it was kind of like Suspiria, but not as interesting and not as well shot. I haven't seen that. Okay. That's the third one in the trilogy, right? That's the third one. Oh, what's the other name for it then? It, isn't it called Mother of Tears? Yeah, it's Mother of Tears. Yeah, Suspiria, Inferno, and Mother of Tears. Yeah. I I'm I mean I'm not the expert, but I definitely have seen the first two. And Inferno, I oh, mean that's the one you've seen. Yeah, that's we saw Inferno together. Okay, that's and that was pretty cool. Like again, it kind of doesn't make sense, quote unquote. You know, like it kept you would meet characters and then they get murdered and there'd be new characters. And I'd be like, we're just going to keep doing this. But his, his, like his camera work and his, like the, the way he lights the scenes is so watchable that I, I can get in with, get, get down, get in with it, get down with it, whatever the expression would be. Yeah. And that's the thing, like in Giallo films, the, the gore is artistic, the gore, like the way the blood splatters, the, where it comes from, like the, you know, it's always this brilliant, unworldly red color i mean there, there, there's something about it that I, I i'm drawn to that more than i am to things like friday the 13th or you know because that, that those, those all just feel like exercises in how creatively we can kill people yeah totally true and that's it um i love the text chainsaw massacre that's one of my favorite horror movies of all time but i think it's also i think it just looks better than a lot of those other movies as well yeah, I I wish I had like been alive and be able to see that in a theater when it came out because it must have just been so shocking. Silence of the Lambs has its own amount of gore in it, but it's not. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. I don't have the same sort of adverse reaction to it because it's all justified and because it, it's it adds to the story. I mean, it's like it's the same thing with sexuality. I mean, there's gratuitousness and then there's like, this serves the story and it, it informs what you're watching, you know? Right. So anything, I mean, honestly, just anything gratuitous, I'm not really that into. I'm not really that mm-hmm. into. Uh, that's fair. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm probably the opposite. I'm yeah, like, literally yeah. the exact like, I like the classy stuff too, but I'm like, 
yo, how gratuitous your, is your movie? I'll, I'll, oh, really gratuitous? Yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look. But like, I certainly I would never call it like high art or be like, oh my God, this movie was so deep, you know? Yeah. Paddington was really mis- missing an evisceration scene. <laughs> Paddington is like one of the best fucking movies ever. Have you seen Paddington? <laughs> I love Mannequin with Kim Cattrall. No, no Paddington. Paddington. <laughs> Mannequin's good too. Paddington about the bear. Yes. Yeah. I did not see either of those movies. They are so fucking good. No joke. They're really good. I've heard I've heard good things about them. They're cute. Yeah. I, I was on an airplane and I was like, what do I watch? What do I watch? Right. And I didn't want to watch anything that had been like edited for content because I hate that. So I was like, I'll 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 pick something, you know, G. G's probably fine. I put on Paddington and like five minutes in, I turned to my wife and I was like, you got to watch this with me, right? And we, we shared headphones. And I, I was like crying on an airplane. I'm like, I can't believe this movie about a talking bear is so good. And then part two came out and I was like, this is great too. Like I, I tell, I tell everyone Paddington is worth your time. I did not know time. this was such a hot This has been for Pad yeah. Forsaken. We're just going to talk about that movie from now on. Okay. That's our new You're topic. An enigma, Rodney. <laughs> we could, we could pair it with something like Grizzly to create, you know, sure. a horror thing. Anyway, I got way off topic. Sorry. <laughs> but um, Alex, you've been such an awesome guest. Thank you for taking so much time to hang with us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> was, uh, was, there, was there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about? Any topics or whatever? Um, uh, I can't. Nothing, nothing leaps to mind. I mean, I just I, I could talk about movies all day. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. do you have do you have like a top five movies? Just like. What are you like? What you know? Not just horror, just like the best. You said the Cassavetes film. Yeah, Woman Under the Influence for sure. Um, there's another movie. I mean, this this also changes all the time. Um, but there's a, this great movie by Nicholas Roy called Bad Timing with Teresa Russell, who's number two on my best performances of all time. And Art Garfunkel, <laughs> when he did his like brief acting foray into, and he Art Garfunkel was in some great movies. He was in Carnal Knowledge, that Mike Nichols film. Hmm. No way, I didn't. I didn't know he acted. It's so good. I Mike Nichols is someone I wish I could have worked with before he died. Yeah, hmm. is he as good as Bon Jovi in U five seven one? Um. I have not seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's yeah. it's like the other it's the other submarine movie. Oh, it's so funny. No, I have not seen that. That's so But funny. no, Bon Jovi's in it. And he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted your list. No, no, no. That's that's funny. I kinda wanna write that down actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 an it you know, it's an enjoyable like it's like a B B plus in my book. It's it if you're into those Missy, you're smiling at me like I'm an asshole. It's a good, it's a, it's a fun submarine war okay, movie. Okay, I believe you. Fun. Yeah, I mean, they don't all have to be dust boot. It's like, it's like a bunch of U.S. soldiers have to take over a German sub, but like they don't speak German and they don't know how to drive it or anything, but they're getting attacked by other Germans and they oh. have to like learn to work as a team to get out of this. That sounds lovely. <laughs> I'm definitely going to check that out. Well, uh, this one's, I guess, controversial or something, but... Uh, I love Stardust Memories, uh, Woody Allen. It's a brilliant movie. It's one of my favorites. Is that related to Stardust? No. <laughs> the fantasy movie. Yeah, I've seen that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stardust is a lot of fun. Yeah, I love movies like that, too. The Big Lebowski. Oh, mm. yeah. Yeah, I know that one. Didn't, yeah. <laughs> didn't Jesus Rolls come out already? You know, they did the sequel Yeah, I think it, it just or... did. I just... Ugh. 
I love John Turturro and I'm sure he's a great director. I just, I don't know why you would, you would ever touch the Lebowski universe without the Coen brothers being involved. Yeah. I I often say that sometimes when you like really love something, you kind of want more of it. Like, give me, give me another piece of the story, but oftentimes it like retroactively ruins what you loved and things like the big Lebowski, just leave it alone. Let it, let it sit up on the shelf for all to admire. Yes. It doesn't need anything. I mean, it's well, it's like when I heard they were trying to remake Big Trouble in Little China. Yep. Mm-hmm. Earth, which is my favorite Carpenter movie. The Thing is number two. There we go. Now we can agree. I'm a, a Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, I've seen that four thousand times. Like dude. I have the in my house the three storms. Like I have their dolls like oh. up on a shelf. <laughs> That's awesome. My brother was rocking the Jack Burton haircut for a while. <laughs> I, I threw on I threw on Escape from New York the other night and I was just like, this movie's so good. Yeah. <laughs> this dude knows how to make a fucking film. John Carpenter, man. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Yeah, sure so many great so many. movies. Yeah. yeah. You could make a score with two keys. Yeah. Um, I saw him in concert a couple oh, years so ago cool. and it was it, it was awesome. He like I mean, he mostly stands there and plays the keyboard and he has a band, but like they show clips from his movies. And I was like, this dude has written some of the best scores, not only yeah. the best movies, but the scores to go with the them. The scores are iconic, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of incredible. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure he'll tour again. When the new Halloween comes out, I'm sure oh. he'll do one more round, probably. I hope so. But, yeah, if you have a chance, go see John Carpenter live. That is worth the money. It's better than John Carpenter kills. <laughs> <laughs> I almost need to make my list by director instead of movie because like every movie by David Lynch would be on my list for sure. I've never seen a movie by him that I was like, man. This, uh, there's a couple I haven't seen, but uh, Mulholland Drive is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Missy, what's yours? Probably, is it, I mean, you like Twin Peaks I mean, Twin Peaks most. is my favorite TV show of all time. Yeah. And Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is incredible. Yeah. And Cheryl is incredible in it. Why don't people like... Like, a lot of people don't like Firewalk with me. Um, it just kind of, like, it, you know, Twin Peaks, they're not, it's, they're leaving so much up in the air and, like, as a question, and, like, when they're really showing you, like, how brutal Laura Pommel's life really was, I think it's just hard to watch. And, I mean, it, it answers a couple, but it begs so many more. Yeah. But I never understood why people didn't like Firewalk with me. I mean, it's, like, a two-hour Twin Peaks episode. I don't see what... He wanted to do, a, I think, three? I think he wanted that to be a trilogy or something. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, that the, the reason that Twin Peaks kind of tanked in the second season is because they forced him, the studio forced him to reveal who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah, after that, it, it it's kind of hard to keep watching. Like, I made I mean, myself go. They have no idea what story to tell after that. Like When you're watching the dude, like, pretend he's in the Civil War outfit i was like what's happening like i know the show is weird but i feel like we've gone past weird you know oh my god yeah you gotta listen to to um oh my god donna bitching about her and her her boyfriend's relationship james hurley's relationship and like are we so wrong for loving each other and i was like i don't think anyone cares donna (laughs) (laughs) i think that's probably why i i I dig Firewalk with me is because it abandons a lot of the goofiness yes. and it kind of just focuses on like darker Lynch, which I yeah. prefer, mm. but I get, I guess I get, if you enjoy all the soap opera stuff that comes with Twin Peaks, it's probably, it's a different, you went to see that movie yeah, and you were like, vibe. uh, what's going on? But <laughs> yeah, but if that's what you enjoy about Twin Peaks, then I don't think you really understand 
what Twin Peaks is. I mean, that's fair. It's like without without the White Lodge and the Black Lodge, it's just a soap opera. Exactly. And the whole yeah. point was to kind of subvert a soap opera genre. Oh, and the, you guys should see check out the missing tapes. Oh, Missy has them. She. I do. I need to. You wait. You haven't watched them? No. I thought you you. Really? There's some Twin Peaks you haven't watched? What are you this doing is, here? Oh, Alex, you're exposing it's in the other deep room. It's truths. literally in the other room. Yeah. Oh, I see why this was cut out. It's not necessary. But then there's a ton of content that is very, very enlightening, I should say. Okay, okay. I I definitely need to get on that. Cool. Let me know. I'm, I'll watch with you. I'm, I, I want to okay. see him too. Okay. All right. Well, Alex, listen, I, I want to talk to you all day, but... Our listeners are probably, they're at work by now. <laughs> they have two weeks. We can keep going. Well, that's true. You, you want to talk about another two weeks? You don't have to shoot for two weeks, so we're fine. <laughs> I'm not doing anything anyway. I'll find another movie. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us and, and bring this awesome movie to our attention. And we're so excited for, for the upcoming Netflix series. I can't wait to see them. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, maybe you come back and join us again and we'll talk about Midnight Mass when we can. When we actually know what it's about. I would love that. I, I, I had the best time talking to you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Of yeah. course. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank You're you so, so much. Uh, stay safe. Wash your hands. Yeah. yeah. It's nice to meet yeah. somebody more pretentious than I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, the word is classy. She's oh, classy. classy. I was like, what did I say? <laughs> um, yeah, no. Now I'm going to go home and watch Friday the 13th and just be like hating myself. Like, you shouldn't be watching this, Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> disgusting all right alex thank you so much we're gonna say goodbye yeah thank you thanks guys thank you so much thank you thank you hey thanks for listening to the episode if you could uh like subscribe and share this episode that'd be great if you want to share your feedback with us we can be reached at podforsakenpodcast at gmail.com yeah